So there I was. Uh, it was about a week ago, I was building my house, and I have this awesome privilege to do this and build my house because I was discipled by a carpenter, and for years we always worked on other people's houses. And so it was like a unique thing this last three months. It's like, you know, I'll be cutting a board, or, and I'll be like, oh, we can't do that because that's wrong, and the owner might see. Or like just like last night, I was caulking something, I'm like, oh, i got to make it right. Because, you know, the owner might see it, and, and it's like, Kyle, that's you. It's a unique thing to be like, it's your house that you're working on. It's not a normal thing when you're doing construction. So it's, so it's really interesting thing. So one thing that we're doing right now is we're putting up nail plates. Anybody know what a nail plate is? A, a nail plate is a little chunk of metal that you put on the inside of your house over your pipes so that the sheetrockers don't f put a screw into your pipe when they install the sheetrock. It's a really smart idea. So we're putting up nail plates, and I'm there, and I'm doing it, and, uh, and what, what, but the thing is, is this. Now, you guys have a whole bunch of young people in here. Look at all these young people. If you are 20 or below, raise your hand. Oh, my goodness. I have had this hammer since before you were born. This is my hammer. There are many like it. This one is mine. I've had this hammer. This, this, is, this is my baby. This is a 16-ounce straight back claw east wing. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? No, we got it. Okay. This is a sermon for the guys. So this is my hammer. It's like an extension of my hand. I've had this thing. I know how it swings. I, I, I am one with this. Does that make sense? I am one. This is like an extension. Anybody ever worked with a tool for a long time? And it is your tool and you know it. You know, it doesn't have to be a hammer. It could be any tool, but you're, you, you, are, you know it in and out. This thing, this whatever piece of china, still got the sticker on it. One of the guys left this out at the job site. For the sake of convenience, when I'm putting on a nail plate, I want you to notice something. See how the yellow one's about a half inch longer than the other one? Half inch is about the size of your thumb. For the sake of convenience, when I was putting on a nail plate, this one was on the ground. And I picked it up, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Let me put this nail plate on. For the sake of convenience, I grabbed something that I thought was something else. And I swung it full swing into my thumb. I now have a purple thumb. And everybody wants to know, what did the preacher say when he hit his, <laughs> when he hit his thumb with the hammer? I'll tell you what I said. I said, Mary and Joseph and all three wise men. I have no idea why I said that. I have never said anything like that. I think it was like my father's Catholic upbringing somehow was like manifested in the moment. And within like five seconds, I went from being Catholic to Pentecostal. Because I wasn't screaming any English. And I was like, healing now. Like I was just man, I was like manifesting God now. You said in your word. Like I'm just like, because my thumb is like boom, boom. Have you ever seen those cartoons? Where you're like, how you can feel, and it's like the big bright red. That's what's happening. I'm like, all right, don't pass out. Don't pass out. And I'm like, but then I thought to myself, how dangerous it is when you think you're one with something and you're not. 
how dangerous it is when, when you think you're one with something and you're not. This morning we're going to be looking, afternoon, excuse me, this afternoon we're going to be in conclusion wrapping up our unity series. And we've talked about being one with everything. We talk about being one with each other, being one with our fellowship, one with the church, one with our families and our wives and our kids, one with our nation. We've talked about being one with everything, everything, everything except being one with God. You can't have unity with any of those things unless you're one with God. But to be one with God, who talks like that? Not many people. If it makes actually kind of religious people a little nervous, oh, one with God, what does that mean? We could be one with God? That's like high language, King James. No one talks that way. Is it possible that all of the division that we're seeing in our homes, in our families, in our nations, and in our churches all go back to the central point that we're not one with God? That we're not unified in sync of one mind and one step with God? I submit to you that it is true. There's the real. And then there's the counterfeit. There's the one that's convenient. And then there's the one that takes time. The one you have to trust. The one that you have to learn. There's no quick road to Christian maturity. It's nothing more than time with Jesus. To be one with God, I'm reminded of that first small group. I'm reminded of that first small group in a sense on the last day of small groups for Jesus. It was the first one because he goes, a new commandment I write to you. He was changing a complete paradigm. He was putting a bookend to an Old Testament chapter of life. Jesus, on the last day of, that he's with his guys, with his disciples, he says, a new commandment I, I write to you, love one another. And then they go outside and they go to the hill and, the, and they have a small group. They sing a hymn. And then at this moment, this right after they got done singing, He's there with his disciples, and he looks at all of them, and he says one of the most controversial and exciting parts of the entire New Testament. He says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Then he says, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do, as, in, as if friendship was the work. As if unity and friendship with God was the whole point from garden to Gethsemane that they would be one. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, I pray that you be one as I and my father are one. He says, I pray not just for you guys, but for also those who will believe in my word in the future. That they would all be one just as you and I, the father, are one. Unity was the work. Friendship was the work. That was the first small group to the new age, to the new covenant of grace. When I look at what's going on now, though, 
I'm reminded of another small group. It was a small group. Um, that's one of my favorite small, small groups in the New Testament. It was the one where Mary and Martha are there. And Martha's making lunch. Can I get an amen for lunch, small groups? The Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's what I'm talking about. Wingstop is where it's at. You know, and, and San Antonio, you guys have blessed me. Because when I first got here, I was a little reluctant. You know, 15 years ago, you've done me well, San Antonio, I'll admit. Because, you know, the food here is incredible. And I, I, it's, it's all about the Hispanic culture. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to say it right now, Christmas time with the tamales. In the words of the kids, it slaps. And, and so, but Mary and Martha, they're having this small group, and Jesus is there, and they're, they're going to eat. And, and, it's, and, I, and this is how I like it. I'm going to contextualize for San Antonio, because this is what it would look like in our culture. The tamales are on the stove. The pico de gallo and the chips and salsa are on the table. And everything's ready. And everything's good. And you know what? For, his, for San Antonio, the house smells like fabuloso. It's nice. But Martha is running around. And what's she doing? Jesus, would you, Mary, Mary, what are you doing sitting? You need to be working. I'm working. You need to be cooking and cleaning with the pots and the pans and the tamales. And she's just like, come on, help me. Jesus, Jesus, Lord. She tells the Lord what to do. Hello. But she's like, Lord, have her help me do what I think is important. Have her come to the kitchen with me. And, and then what does Jesus say? Empacamija. Sit down, because Mary's just sitting. The most spiritual thing that you can do sometimes is sit. Now, us in our Western mindset, we got to do, 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 don't we? We got to have tasks, and we got to, we got to, and, and, and Martha is just emulating the, the Western American church lady who's on every committee. She's on doing everything. I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, but she does not sitting with the one. Who upholds all things by the word of his power. She's not sitting with the one who always wanted the best for her. You see, Martha makes the mistake of this one thing you lack, the most important thing. When the West looks, when the church of the West and the church of the East are side by side, do you know what the East says about us, the West? Look at all that you do. Without God. The only criticism of us is that we do all of these mighty things. We build buildings and we plant churches and we start hospitals and Bible schools. But the whole time, the East will say you neglect God. Learn to sit, America. Learn to sit, Martha. Learn to be okay to ab abide. In our culture, it's the last thing. Whenever the storms of life come and they come, then they're like, pray, 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 pastor, pray for me, pastor. Weekly occurrence. You know it's true. If you've walked with God long enough, you know that you're constantly bombarded with pray, pray, and they always want to pray during the storms. Learn to sit at his feet. Learn to abide with him. In fact, that's the, I feel like the, that's the only thing I've ever gotten right. The, the day I got born again, 
I had a radical experience with God in my college dorm room. God came. I didn't, was, I didn't even believe in God. And when God shows up and you don't believe in Him, it's an issue. They're going to do some repairs. And so I'm literally, I'm, I'm flabbergasted and enthralled by the presence of God. He came to me and He transformed my heart. And I'm walking around in this mystic tornado of love and forgiveness and weeping and, and then wailing for my own sin. And I'm just like this, this the, the, the presence of God, which sounds like the voice of everyone I've ever loved, somehow in one heart echo in my life. And then someone hands me a New Testament. That day, an old guy with a tweed jacket on, brown, hands me a New Testament. I was like, okay. And I open it up and I read John chapter 15, the, the first thing I ever read in the Bible. The only reason I started there is like my dad's name is John. And I literally started in the middle because I was like, I don't want to waste my time. I hope this is good. Because I didn't know anything, you know. And I open it up and I just read, apart from me you can do nothing. And then that precious promise, abide with me and I will abide with you. And that's the first thing I understood. I feel like today that's the only thing I've understood. I feel like that's the only thing I have going for me is I understood that promise is that you can be alone with God, that you can abide with Him, and that He wants to abide with you. That's everything. That means you can sit when everything around you is anxious and worried. But Americans, they don't have any problem with any kind of anxiety or anxiousness, do we? Our pharmacists would say otherwise. Are you able to sit? And I'm not trying to discredit people who have issues. That's not what I'm doing. What I am doing is saying this. Come and sit, Martha. Come and learn from me. For I am meek and humble at heart. Come and take my yoke upon you. For it is Easy and light. Now, what does it mean to have a yoke? Someone's like, eggs? No, 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 no. Not from chickens, which is funny because my little kids the other day, this explains what happens. A yoke is an agrarian term, which means like from a farm. My boys literally, the other day, they were like, I was like, yeah, chickens. We're going to have chickens one day. We're going to be able to make our own nuggets. And my little son Jude was like, hold up. And I'm like, you know, right? And he goes, what? I'm like, son, where do chicken nuggets come from? This brother said, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and then he was confused. He's like, Chick-fil-A sauce? You know, he made a stretch. He's like, Polynesia. You know, like, he, he's stretching. And I'm like, no, chickens the, with the feathers, that's where chicken nuggets come from. It was like, Mind blown. He, was, he literally goes, what do you do with the feathers? I'm like, you take them off. He was like, wow. <laughs> but we're not in an agrarian society. We're not in an agricultural society anymore. When I say a yoke, you don't know what it means. But it's how you would combine two oxen or two horses or two mules together. It was a beam of wood that would go across both of their backs to unite them together. That they would be in sync. That there would be syncopation in the way that they walked. That they would share a load. Share a heavy burden. Come, learn from me. Be joined together with me. 
I'll bear your burden. I'll share the load. You'll be in step with me in my humility. Come and learn. Is it possible? Is it possible that the reason, Martha, that you're worried and anxious is you've picked up something you were never meant to carry? If Jesus says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light, you've picked up something you were never meant to carry. Now, a a rabbi's yoke is his interpretation of Torah. Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor. All of that is all of the commandments. Learn to sit and love, and you'll be able to stand anywhere. But I see so many Christians falling to the left, falling to the right. Hear me now, it's because you never learned to sit. You never learned to stay and abide. And you have made the mistake of Martha. This is what Martha looks like. Hammers, we got ladders. Got hammers and ladders. This is what I call the doo doos. I gotta show up, I gotta do that. I gotta have good attendance at church. I'm not just gonna show up, I'm gonna serve, right? Well, I've got a volunteer. Not just gonna lead a volunteer, I gotta go to a small group. Pretty soon, you're in a small group. Guess what you got to do? You got to lead a small group. You lead a small group for long enough, you got you to lead leaders. Then you got to plant churches. Then you got to support missions. And you got to give. You got to tithe. And you got to KB. And pretty soon, it gets kind of scary at the top. I'm not going to take another step. Is that okay? No, no. Here, we're going up. Can't have fear. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's scary at the top. You're scary at the top. You got the doo-doos. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And, pretty, and, and do you ever arrive? You, do, you ever, do you ever reach the point? You just got to do this and you got to do this. And, 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 then, and, then, and then what do you do? Well, you start going, well, I'm higher than you. Oh, come on up here. You do comparison. Oh, man. I thank you. I'm not like you. I, I thank you. I, I thank you. I'm not a Democrat. Oh, Lord. And then you just... You, uh, Two men went to the temple to pray. Two men went to the temple to pray. One said, I'm grateful I'm not like that person. I'm grateful I'm not like this person. One couldn't even look up. Have mercy on me, God, a sinner. Martha and her dues. I have to do all of these religious things. I have to do. And and the, the key and indicator, if you have Martha in your heart, is it's a list. Oh, and then you take your list to God. God, could you do this? God, can you do this? God, can you do this? It's like, who's God in this situation? You come to him with your orders, with your demands, and you spiritualize it. Learn to sit, Martha. Not out of duty, but out of delight. Mary loves Jesus. She was at the tomb when all the disciples went away. It was Mary's love that was there. Because it says 
she had been forgiven much. And he who has been forgiven much loves much. I see Christians and they struggle with unforgiveness with each other. It's not a struggle of unforgiveness or bitterness. It's a struggle that you don't love God. Because if you really loved Him and you knew Him, then you would know how much He has forgiven you, how much He has loved you, and that His love would flow through you. In fact, that's all of that's the answer to all the dues of giving, serving, volunteering, discipleship, all of all of the dues in life. If you sit, his love becomes yours. His generosity becomes yours. His service becomes your yours. You see, you've taken his yoke upon you. He's right there. He's right there. This is the difference between Christianity and all the works of man. All the works and religions of man, the pillars of Islam, the enlightenment, the rosaries, all the things says, I'm going to get to God by my own efforts. I'm going to get to God by my own works. I'm going to do this. I, I, I. Christianity is different. It's the only religion which says God comes and dwells inside of a man. John in the 14th chapter I and my Father will come and make our home in you. Did you hear me? The difference between the real and the counterfeit. The real is when God dwells inside of you. That's the real. You think That's the difference. Because everything else is like, it's like dues. And then this is what it sounds like. Well, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't do this. I'm like, what do you do? Nobody wants that. That's the thing. You couldn't sell this if you tried. You hear me? The real, out of the overflow, in the abundance, out of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, then all discipleship and all evangelism is a possibility, right? I have never seen an apple tree struggle to be an apple. You see that? I've never seen it just go, I'm going to produce an apple. Hear me. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, and your fruit will remain. Learn to sit. Learn to be in his presence. Never settle. Never settle for the status quo of your relationship with God. A disciple is someone who's madly in love with Jesus and who never settles. When we talk about the yoke, I want us to think about this. You know, when we talk about it, we always think about the strength of, of an animal, like, like a beast, a burden, like an ox. Like the Bible says, there's great strength in the ox. I'm reminded, do you know how much one horse can pull? 4,000 pounds. That's like a Volkswagen bug. That's a lot of weight. And so we think, how many, how many pounds could two horses pull? And I'm like, simple math, eight. That's what I said. I was like, eight? No, it's actually 16,000 pounds. That's incredible. I'm like, that's a lot. And what, you know what happens if you keep those two horses together? 
those are Belgian draft horses. You, if, you, if you keep them together for one year, guess how much they pull? You get them in sync, in rhythm. They learn to abide and reside together. 32,000 pounds. You know what the world record is? Two brothers. Two brother Belgians that have never been separated. They've never been apart. They sleep in the same stall. They eat together. They always live together. They've never been separated. The Belgian record, 52,000 pounds. We're talking about unity. The one I'm talking about you being yoked with is Jesus. If you're yoked with him, forgiveness is possible. Love is possible. Unity is possible. Evangelism, discipleship, service, generosity, death, martyrdom, everything is possible. As he is, so are we in this world. When we talk about unity, everyone always runs to unity with each other. What if it was this? What if unity with each other was impossible without this? What if, it, what if, if with, apart from God we could do nothing? That's, that's what Paul says. That through him all things are possible to him that believes. Be mindful of this. You young people, hear me now. The epistle of James says, where there's envy and self-seeking, there is every evil work. The great danger when you're young is you become envious. You want compensation. You even get go to college to get educated so that you could have one up on the next person. Instead of being motivated by your individual calling, it's just about competition and how you appear before men. And so the great danger is, is you take these steps of self-seeking. James says where there's envy and self-seeking, there's every selfish and evil thing. So what's the answer to that selfishness? The unselfishness of the kingdom of God. Every single action of Jesus was a completely unselfish one. He modeled, when we say unselfishness, we basically mean love on display. It's unself, love is defined as unselfishly choosing for the highest good. Jesus was living, walking, and talking love. He was unselfish in all of his ways. That means very simply this. Selfishness is the kingdom of darkness. Unselfishness is the kingdom of God. But we're in trouble. Because our nation is glorifying, celebrating, perpetuating unselfish, excuse me, selfishness on a grand scale. It's being celebrated, venerated, propagated. It's being sent all over the world. It's telling you this is the status quo. This is the American way. This is how you should live. When you study cultures, you study art. And prepare yourself 
Because I'm going to express to you what a modern artist is saying in our culture. And I never thought in a million years that this street preacher would quote Taylor Swift. Exactly. That's the kind of times we're in. It's getting dark. But the great philosopher Fletcher says this, let me write you the songs of a nation. I don't care who writes its laws. Because the, what's happening is art it reveals the heart. Art reveals the heart. And so if this song is so popular, listen, it's a revelation of where the heart of the American people are. This is Taylor Swift. Let me quote you, anti-hero. I believe it accurately describes the condition of the American heart. I have this thing where I get older but never wiser. Midnights become my afternoons. When my depression works the graveyard shift, all the people I have ghosted stand in the room. I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis. I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch you as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everyone agrees. This song continues to us. Horrible conclusion. I have my, this dream where my daughter-in-law kills me for the money. She thinks I left them in the will. The family gathers around and reads out. Then someone screams out, she's laughing at us from hell. Let me write you the songs of a nation. I don't care who writes its laws. The only answer to a culture of selfishness where you can stare directly at the sun but never in the mirror. You can never have introspection. The problem is always out there. It's never in here. Everyone else is always at fault, but I'm not at fault. That's the great danger, friends. Is when the problem, in your mind, the problem is always out there, but it's never in here. Martha, your heart is filled with all kinds of anxieties and worries. Come and learn to sit. Do you see me? Do you see me, Dad? Do you see me? Maybe I'll do this. Dad, do you see me? Dad, do you see me? I'm doing it, Dad. That's an orphan spirit. It's not from God. It's an orphan spirit. By the works of the hands, no flesh is justified. He, hear me now. He doesn't. Nothing you can do could ever change the way that He loves you. Nothing that you could do in your actions change the ways that He feels about you. Some of you, you're, you're desperately trying to work to something. The gospel says it is finished. That you are accepted in the beloved. You see, you have only, only, only two options. You have the orphan spirit or you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, Abba. It says, Dad. It says, Dad. It says, Dad, three different times in the New Testament, the Spirit expressly says the word Abba. If the Holy Spirit wanted one thing to be understood by the church, it's that, that God is your Father. And that through the gospel, through the blood of Jesus, you can be a son or daughter. 
The Gospel of John in the first chapter says, To as many as received him, he gave right and authority to be called children of God. Sonship. Daughtership. Isn't it any wonder that our whole nation is in an identity crisis? An identity crisis. Learn to sit. He'll tell you who you are. He'll tell you things like you're accepted in the beloved. He'll tell you things that you're a co-heir. You're seated with him in heavenly places. That you're blessed. Right now I hear, but you don't know what I did. You don't know what I, I've done. I'm not clean. I'm not right. He that is in Christ is a new creation. Behold, is gone, the new has come. As far as from the east as the west, so shall your sins be remembered no more. That the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel. You're like, what does that mean? Remember that first son, Cain and Abel? Abel Cain tried to do this. By the works of my own hands, by my own offering, by my own sacrifice, I'll be accepted to God. Abel trusted in another. And God says, I've, I have heard the blood of Abel cry out to me. Fast forward 2,000 years, there was another older brother whose name is Jesus, who shed his blood that we would all be family, that we all would be one. Paul tells us that through the blood, he has brought all things near, that we are all one under that, and that through that blood, it speaks a new word, a better word. I believe that word is Abba. I believe that the Spirit says Abba because the Scriptures tell us that the Spirit and the blood, they agree as one. That the blood of Jesus says daughter, son. Would you stand with me? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that we would surrender, that we would surrender. I hear the Holy Spirit say surrender, surrender, come home. The Spirit and the Bride say come, come, whomsoever will let him come.